With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hall of Fame coaches, national champions, lottery picks, the best minds in basketball. Welcome into the sidelines with Evan Daniels. What's up, college basketball fans? Welcome back to the Sidelines Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Daniels, college basketball insider at FS1, as well as the director of basketball recruiting at 24-7 Sports. The season came to an end last night, and Virginia is your national champion. We're going to get to the story about the Virginia Cavaliers. We're going to talk about the coaching searches. Before we get to both of those things, I want to make sure that you are subscribed and supporting the Sidelines Podcast. The best way to do that is to go over to apple Podcasts and or your favorite podcast app hit the subscribe button for me i'm also asking that you'd leave a five-star rating uh, if you think that's what we deserve and a review you can also shoot me a note over on twitter or instagram the handle is at evan daniels would love to know what you think about the podcast it's time to go minimum with evan daniels send it in big fella now I want to bring back on my colleague from FS1, Conrad Company. We've been uh, discussing basketball throughout the the, the season, and uh, no better better way to cap things off and talk about uh, the national championship last night. Virginia is your national champion, and and what a story, Conrad. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, could you ask for a better national championship game? I mean, I know a lot of people were worried there was going to be too much defense. But man, that was probably one of the best national championship games or even Final Fours that I can remember over the past five, ten years. Yeah, the, the Final Four games and the Elite Eight games were all um, tremendous. I, I think the Elite Eight games were you know, as good of basketball games that I've ever seen. But uh, the, the, the championship game last night I thought turned out to be a doozy. Um, I know people were worried about it being not visually appealing and too much defense. And once you got past the first four minutes of the game, uh, it, it was awesome. There was shot making. Uh, Virginia made 11 threes. Uh, DeAndre Hunter down the stretch was awesome. He was particularly really good in the second half. Scored 27 points, hit four or five three-pointers. Um, this is a kid that we've all been waiting for to come on in the NCAA tournament, uh, and he picked just the right time to do that. Yeah, certainly, you know, and I mean, we got the show that I think a lot of us wanted down the stretch with Culver playing Hunter and vice versa, where they matched up on both offense, defense, where you got to see legitimately the two guys that are probably going to be the two highest picked players uh, in the draft in that game going head to head. You know, I mean, Culver didn't have a great night, five for 22. He's actually had an awful shooting performance in the NCAA tournament. Do you think that's actually going to affect his draft stock? Maybe a little, but I don't think too much. At the end of the day, he's a six foot six long wing with athleticism, scoring ability and can defend um he he obviously didn't have a great championship game was five of 22 from the field uh, but did have 15 nine and five and uh, i i still think he's one of the better nba prospects in this draft and you and i've gone over this a, a bunch but it's a down draft class um so i i still see him in the top 10 pick range yeah, well, how do you feel about DeAndre Hunter after his performance? I mean, he had a career high in points last night, and you know what? It seemed like in the final 10 minutes of the game, that guy didn't miss a shot. Yeah, he, he was he was particularly awesome 
uh, coming down the stretch. And, and this is a, a guy that really hasn't performed up to his level during the NCAA tournament. And Virginia needed him. And he's got size. He's got length. He's got athletic ability. Uh, he's able to switch out on the perimeter and, and guard multiple positions. He showed his ability to step out on the floor and make jump shots, which I think is particularly key. You know, in the NBA, he can he can fill a role as a 3 and D guy. Um, but he, he, he showed uh, – he, he showed showed all of his ability there in the second half, and uh, it, it was cool to see him step up in that type of moment. Yeah, I mean, it was big shot after big shot down the stretch last night. I mean, it was the perfect cap off to a 2019 season. The only thing about it, though, and I don't know how you feel about it, do you feel like there's too many replays at the end of games where, I mean, there was the call where it was off of his pinky, touches pinky a little bit off Texas Tech to end the game. How do you feel about those calls? I mean, the rest of college basketball before there was the replay system, that would have been Texas Tech ball. Yeah, no, you're right. And, and I, you know, I think it's, it's twofold, man. I, it's hard because you want the play to be called correctly. And the, that's the most fair, fair way to do it. But at the same time, you don't want the speed of the game to slow down so much uh, where we're constantly looking at replays, constantly going to commercial breaks. Um, that stuff um, can wear you down a little, honestly. And uh, we all want a fast-paced, um, you know, quickly moving game. And when you have three, four-minute breaks every now and then for, for replays, um, it's, it can be frustrating. But I, I think the key is that they get the play right. Now, I think one area that's maybe frustrating for me is when they, you know, there's certain things they can and can't review. Um, and I saw some replays this morning about the, the the particular play that you're talking about with the ball going off a pinky. Well, Kyle Guy slapped at his wrist. And the reason he was losing the ball uh, was because he was blatantly fouled. And I'm sure they could see that when they went back to the replay, but they can't adjust or make that call. Um, so it ends up going off of David Moretti and, and – um, and Virginia gets the ball. Uh, so to answer your question, it's frustrating, but I also think there's 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 some need for it because you want to get calls right. Yeah, no doubt, and I, I think you're 100% correct. You always want the right call to be made, and it was the right call in that situation. Obviously, you can't review the foul, but, you know, I mean, some people never get over those calls, but you just got to move on. You got to continue to keep playing the game. But, again, major props to Virginia on winning. Now, this Virginia team is pretty loaded now technically next year they only lose jack salt as far as being a senior it's pretty crazy to think that tony bennett and this virginia team can say hey guys if y'all want to run this back we can try to run this back and we can be like those florida gators in the mid-2000s who do you think is leaving this team and who do you think will be returning next year well i think deandre hunter's certainly gone and that's going to be a big loss i think uh, just from their tournament performance last year to this year uh pretty easy to see um, and what a comeback story. We didn't really get a chance to touch on that, but I, I think it's one of the coolest stories to have happened in sports, losing to a 16 seed uh, last year, being the first number one seed to do so, and then bouncing back for a national championship. It's pretty uh, pretty historic and pretty epic. Um, but, yeah, I think they'll lose DeAndre Hunter. I think there's a chance that they could lose Ty Jerome. You never know with Kyle Guy. He is a junior. Um, you would expect – He's probably back, and, and maybe even Ty Jerome, but I think they, they have decisions um, to make. Um, Mamadi Diakite is a, is a junior, so he'll be back. Jay Huff will be back. Um, so I, there's a lot to play out here. It's way too early to, to, to talk about them being back-to-back champs, in my opinion, because the loss of DeAndre Henner alone is a big deal. 
Yeah, you know what? I didn't bring up beating the one seed from last year with Virginia because you know why? Winning heals all wounds, and I don't think Virginia <laughs> is going to look back on that loss at all anymore after they're uh, putting this up in the banners. Uh, but yeah, so again, congratulations, Virginia. It was a fantastic season. Now, Chris Beard, though, and his Texas Tech team, they lost a ton last year. They came back super resilient this year, probably one of the best defensive teams, if not the best defensive team in the country. They play a very positionless type of basketball, like kind of like the Warriors do, and I know a lot of other teams are trying to adapt this style. Do you see more of the NCAA kind of turning more to positionless basketball? Well, I think it's something that we've seen over the course of the you know past uh, eight years, something that's consistently gone that route. Coaches are targeting guys that are versatile and can guard multiple positions and play multiple positions on offense. I think uh, versatility is so key. Uh, in the the current day and game of uh, of college basketball and NBA, and uh, it's certainly something that I think college coaches uh, are zeroing in on and 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 uh, trying to recruit to. And obviously, Texas Tech provides a good example, but it's something that you know John Calipari, Kentucky's been doing um, for quite some time as well. Yeah, definitely. And I'm sure Chris Beard's going to get a raise and I'm sure Texas Tech fans are going to be happy to have him sitting in Lubbock for the next foreseeable future, I'm sure. But uh, let's let's move on to this Rick Barnes to UCLA news. Now, obviously, he's staying at Tennessee. You were at the airport when you uh, dropped this story. How did all this play out? Yeah, it was kind of crazy how it developed. I mean, he uh, it, it, when I heard Rick Barnes' name involved in UCLA, one, I was taken back a little. Uh, two, I was walking through an airport or, or in an Uber uh, writing the story. And um, at that time, it was Sunday evening. And, and at that time, I thought that that deal with Rick Barnes and UCLA was nearly done. And I think if you ask both sides uh, about it at that time, they'd likely say the same exact thing. Um, but he met with... Philip Fulmer uh, Sunday evening, and then they talked on Monday. Tennessee presented him with a different offer uh, or another offer, and, and really his decision to stay at Tennessee was twofold, Conrad. It, it was, one, there was a late negotiation snag with UCLA that I think impacted some things, and two, Tennessee certainly stepped up, and, and Rick Barnes has been um, public with um, the idea that he needs more money for his staff and um, – and needs more money devoted to basketball. And it, it sure seems like Tennessee stepped up uh, when they needed to. Um, and now um, UCLA has filled their, their coaching search, Conrad, really while we were recording this podcast. Mick Cronin leaving Cincinnati after a long tenure there to head to UCLA. How do you think that's going to play out? Six years, $24 million for Mick Cronin. And I think what's interesting is is, is he was one of the guys that, that UCLA had interviewed uh, in the initial uh, go around and and this is a guy that that's won every step of the ways. Um, started out as uh, a high school assistant coach, uh, was a assistant coach at both Cincinnati and Louisville, and then a head coach at Murray State, Cincinnati, uh, and UCLA. Uh, has won 365 games in his career. Um, I think he's a good basketball coach. He's a guy that that has always coached uh, tough physical teams, uh, known for their defensive prowess. Uh, but this is going to be the first time that, that he's um, headed to the to, to the West Coast. And so hiring a staff that knows that area is quite important. How, how does this affect recruiting for a situation like UCLA where recruits and their parents possibly look at UCLA not getting their first guy, their second guy, their third guy? And then they have Mick Cronin now, which I think Mick Cronin is a fantastic coach. But it's it's pretty clear on the record that UCLA is 
tried to be in negotiations with quite a few big dogs before they got to Mick. Does this affect their recruiting in any way, do you believe? No, I don't think it'll affect their recruiting. I mean, I think now it's it's moving forward with the guy they hired. I mean, did, did they run somewhat of an embarrassing search uh, at different times? I think you could make it make that case. Uh, do I think Mick Cronin is a, a good basketball coach? Yes. Uh, do I think that this process in terms of, of hiring him uh, will hinder them with recruits? No. Uh, I think the most important thing for Mick is to hire the right staff, be able to to go to UCLA and, and zero in on, on guys that can fit his program and, and fit who he is uh, and, and go from there. Yeah, now is there anybody you think that'll be filling the role of new head coach at Cincinnati? Yeah, the name I would probably point to and jumps off the page the the quickest uh, is Northern Kentucky's John Brannon. Uh, he's done a tremendous job there in, in such a brief time. Uh, he's taken them to uh, two NCAA tournaments. He he kind of ushered or he did usher them into the Division One A era. Uh, so he's done a great job at. Uh, at Northern Kentucky, and I would imagine he gets a strong and serious look from Cincinnati. Um, it's just across the river. He grew up in in Alexandria, Kentucky. Um, he's from the area. I would get guess that he gets a, a really strong look. Well, hopefully Cincinnati will have their guys soon enough. I mean, it sounds like obviously UCLA got theirs. Uh, let's move on to another coach who sounds like he's stepping down. I don't know. Is, is it official yet? Chris Mullins leaving St. John's? Uh, it's not official, but that is the word, and they've already lost recruits, and um, it's expected to happen here in the near future. And, and uh, I can uh, sources have told me that the guy that the, the, the St. John's AD is, is targeting is Arizona State head coach Bobby Hurley. Um, there's obviously some ties. The the AD at, at St. John's uh, came from Duke. Obviously, Bobby Hurley, one of the more accomplished uh, players to play at Duke. Um, so it appears that they're going to be targeting uh, Arizona's Arizona State's head coach, Bob Hurley. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and it's unfortunate because, as everyone knows, Chris Mullins was the best player that St. John's has ever produced. But over his first three seasons, 38 and 60, he was unable to get 500 over the mark. And then this past season, they went 21 and 14, but they did lose five of their last six before they got beat by Bobby Hurley and the Arizona Sun Devils. Why do you think Chris Mullins is stepping down now as head coach? Well, the truth is, I think that there's going to be... Um, I guess the best way to put it is a drop-off in the program. Shamori Pons left. Uh, he wasn't coming back. Matt Abdel-Massey, the guy that has basically been in charge of recruiting a majority, if not all, of their talent, um, left to join Fred Hoiberg at Nebraska. Um, I think they obviously made an NCAA tournament this year. Uh, I think next year could have been tough. And I think it was a scenario where uh, the athletic director kind of saw the writing on the wall and made a decision to part ways um, a year prior than he was probably going to be forced to. Because I think if you're looking at next year and who they have uh, currently on their roster and the way things were going, I, I don't think that they would have uh, had a great season. So it, it seems like he, uh, he may have saved himself some pain and, and gone ahead and, and parted ways. And again, you're you're hearing that Bobby Hurley would be the front runner to take over that St. John's program. Yeah, that's who. That's that's exactly who the uh, AD at St. John's is is targeting uh, is Bobby Hurley. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Go to your happy price, price line. Okay. Now uh, let's move on to actually Eric Musselman, another guy who left a position at Nevada to head to Arkansas. Now, in my opinion, it makes sense for Eric Musselman to leave because they are losing six of their top eight performers from this past season. What have you heard about his transition to Arkansas? Well, that happened uh, pretty quickly, and we know that Arkansas talked to uh, a couple guys, and um, I think Musselman was one of the first they actually interviewed. And uh, this is a guy that's had a lot of success in Nevada. Uh, he flipped them the, the, very quickly. Um, the, the season before uh, he arrived, they only won nine games. Each of the last three seasons, uh, Eric Musselman and Nevada have won uh, 28 games once and 22 game, 29 games twice. Uh, he went to a Sweet 16 a year ago. He started out the season in the top 10. Uh, this is a guy with NBA pedigree. He's coached for three years in the NBA. Uh, he's got ties to the area, not quite Arkansas, but coached at LSU uh, in the 2014-2015 season. So uh, this is a guy that can really coach. This is a guy that knows how to motivate his players. He's done uh, quite a bit at Nevada with transfers, and I would expect that he'll he'll continue to mine that market. Now, one quick question off the topic. There is the discussion of them taking away grad transfers going forward. How do you feel about that, and how is that going to affect uh, players leaving their schools to go have opportunities other places? There's certainly been some talk of that, uh, how that's going to transpire. I don't think we quite know yet, Conrad. Um, it's obviously been helpful to some programs, and I would also argue that it's been a little bit overrated for others. There's very few grad transfers that have had the, the impact that a guy like Matt Mooney had. Uh, at Texas Tech this year. Uh, you could name off a couple that had big impacts, but uh, overall, um, I, w- I would say you know some of those guys are stop gaps, um, but I don't know that we've seen quite the success that some re- think they have uh, in that transition. But as of now, I-, I think we're stuck with grad transfers. And I, okay. I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing either. Yeah, but yeah, I, no. I, you, you feel bad for the low and mid-majors that are losing guys right and left because of the rules. So I think it's twofold. Yeah, uh, now now let's get back on track real quick with Eric Musselman going to Arkansas. Does the SEC have the best coaching trees in college basketball right now? Man, it's a pretty darn good one. I mean, it'd be tough to compete with the ACC of, of Roy Williams and Coach K and Jim Beheim uh, and, and I mean Leonard Hamilton. You could go down the list. There's some really good coaches. And Chris Mack is, is a tremendous basketball coach. There's a long list of, of really good coaches. I think Jeff Cable is going to be really good at Pittsburgh. Uh, there's there's a really good list of coaches in the ACC. I'm sure I'm leaving some out, but the SEC has done a good job of compiling uh, very good basketball coaches. And you know, obviously got John Calipari uh, at Kentucky. Um, I think um, Eric Musselman was a, a very good hire at Arkansas. I think um, they they continue to add because I think Buzz Williams was a very good hire at Texas A&M. I, I don't know that I would say it's the the best. Uh, coaching group but I think they certainly have a, a really good one and I think basketball in the SEC is is continuing to rise and get better yeah you know and that's something that I've kind of noticed over the past couple years uh, growing up I didn't watch a ton of SEC basketball but over the past like I said three four five years I started to watch more I don't think there is any better atmosphere than those SEC games when they're rival games I mean and looking at the the coaches right now I mean with Musselman going to Arkansas Bruce Pearl taking Auburn to a final four I think Mike White's a terrific coach at Florida Tom Crean at that I mean going into his what his second mm-hmm. third year into the Bulldogs Calipari we don't know if Will Wade's going to come back to LSU I mean the list goes on and on I mean Frank Martin even at South Carolina there's so many quality good coaches and actually another one that I just noticed too totally forgot to bring it up Jerry Stackhouse going to Vanderbilt what's all that about 
Yeah, it, it, you're right. It is a long list of, of impressive coaches. I actually think that Bruce Pearl um, is a little undervalued as a basketball coach and what they were able to accomplish in terms of getting a Final Four this year and, and winning some games, uh, especially a big one against Kentucky without their best player was uh, ridiculously impressive. He's got good guards and they're fun to watch. Um, in terms of Jerry Stackhouse, I think it's an intriguing hire and one that I'm, I'm watching pretty closely. Uh, this is a guy, um, by all accounts, as uh, a good basketball mind. And, you know, I have a, a friend that worked pretty closely with him uh, during his career, and he thinks, thinks that he's a really good basketball coach. Now, the guy, the, the challenge for a guy like him is he's headed to college basketball. And he's never had to recruit uh, college basketball players. Now, he has some ties to um, the grassroots level. He has a, an AAU program um, and has for, for quite some time. So there's some ties to, to that arena. Um, but he, I think it's going to be important that he hires a staff that knows and has the ability to recruit. And, and at Vanderbilt, it's different. You've got to be able to, to zone in on and, and recruit uh, with an academic model. And I, I think that's not always the easiest thing in the world. No, I, I would agree with that. Now, I mean, and I, I know we keep seeing a trend of these former NBA players coming back to college basketball. Now, obviously, we had um, Penny Hardaway go to Memphis last year. Now, Jerry Stackhouse. I mean, just recognizable names. Do you think this is going to become more of a trend where guys are going to leave the NBA and say, you know what, I'm going to give this coaching thing a try? Well, we've seen it uh, quite a few times. I, I don't I don't know that it's 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 going to trend upward or downward. I, I think uh, most of these athletic directors are, are attempting to find the best basketball coach they can. Um, Jerry Stackhouse obviously was unique, and he had a, a relationship uh, with the AD that dates back to the G League. Malcolm Turner was uh, once in charge of the G League before he got to Vanderbilt. So I think there was a strong connection there that particularly helped this one. Now, uh, the last thing that I want to talk to you about is this guy, Trey Jones, coming back to Duke this season. Is there anything <laughs> you're hearing on, on why he would return? I mean, in most mock drafts, he's a top 20 pick. Usually, if you're a top 20 pick, you're out. You're gone. Well, I, I think the part of it with Trey is he had an up and down close to his freshman season. And this is a guy um, that I thought showed um, really some significant mental toughness. Uh, with, with the way he bounced back from that game against UCF where UCF was basically daring him to shoot and, and mocking him to shoot. And then he comes back the next game and hits a handful of three-pointers. And I thought that showed um, some ridiculous confidence and mental toughness. Uh, but I, I think Trey uh, is a really good point guard. I think this is a kid that really knows how to distribute and pass, and he's a tremendous on-ball defender. Uh, the next area here is to... Uh, improve as a shot maker and as a shooter and the truth is Conrad this is a shooter's game and you have to be able to make shots in the NBA there's not a lot of point guards in the NBA that can't knock down a three-pointer and, and I'm not saying he's incapable uh, but I think it's an area that he's going to really have to improve on he's actually a pretty good mid-range shooter uh, I thought it was a mature decision honestly I think another year at Duke could be extremely helpful uh, for Trey Jones, and I, I, I think it could really help his development. I know we talked a little bit off air about it, but do you think there is any possibility that obviously having his brother Tyus, who was a national championship winner at Duke, who left after his freshman year and kind of not in and out of the league, but he's been with the Timberwolves, but he has been really getting a ton of playing time over his three, four years there. Do you think that had anything to go into it where he talked to his brother and his brother's like, hey, man, just keep learning under Coach K and keep getting better? Well, it's pretty clear that those two are close, and I, I'm sure they've talked a great deal. 
and I'm sure that Tyus has given him some some pretty handy advice. I, I haven't spoken to Trey, so I don't know his exact reasoning, uh, but I would guess it's a mixture of, of what you're talking about and just wanting to go in the league ready. Look, Trey Jones is a really smart kid. Uh, covered him throughout high school, uh, got to know him a little. Uh, he's a smart kid. He's an educated kid. Uh, I think he probably knows that there's some areas to his game that he's going to need to improve. And look, I don't think Trey Jones just wants to go to the league to be in the league. I think he wants to go in the league, be ready to be in the league, and be a mainstay in the league. So I, I think more than anything um, that the development is the, the, the key thing here, Conrad. Yeah, you know, I mean, this is huge for Duke. I mean, they're getting their anchor back as their point guard, not only as just being a facilitator, and I think he's going to be more of a much more of a scorer next year as being a sophomore coming in, but he is one of the best on-ball defenders in the country. Oh, and, he's, uh, ter- he's terrific. Yeah, and now an- another guy that they went against, and this will be the last guy I asked you about going into the NBA draft. What Are you hearing anything about Cassius Winston possibly putting his name in the early uh, early draft portal? Well, I mean, I'm sure it's possible. Uh, look, Cassius Winston has had a tremendous um, basketball season. This is a guy that I think is is actually the best. I think he was the best point guard in, in all of college basketball. Now, I, I think that he is um, a tremendous college basketball player. I think that he can find uh, – I think he'll at the least be a backup um, in the NBA um, but I haven't heard much about him possibly leaving. I, I, I think that uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised and, and would like uh, would expect that he's back at Michigan State next year. Comrade, man, it was fun. I really appreciate uh, appreciate you jumping on the podcast. As always, it's been a fun college basketball season. I appreciate your insight. I appreciate you jumping on here. Yeah, man, no problem. Anytime, 2019, man, one for the books. <laughs> no question. This is Tom Izzo. Michigan State is headed to the final four. And you can leave it to Cleve. And he's running hot onto the floor. He has reinstated the magic at Michigan State. You're listening to The Sidelines with Evan Daniels. Uh, Before I let you guys go, I want to make sure that you are subscribed and supporting The Sidelines podcast. The best way to do that is to go to Apple Podcasts and or your favorite podcast app. Hit the subscribe button for me. Leave a rating. Leave a review. We'd love a five-star rating, actually. Uh, You can also shoot me a note over on Twitter. The handle is at Evan Daniels. The same for Instagram. As always, thanks for listening and have a great week.